Hey everyone, this episode of the Second Pint Podcast is brought to you by It's Just Soap. Many store-bought body washes and soap bars are made with toxic ingredients that are harmful to your skin. Soap should be healthy for your body, leaving you feeling clean, hydrated, and moisturized. It's Just Soap is made with natural ingredients, giving you a luxurious lather for the best shower experience. Every shower should feel this good. Go to itsjustsoap.com. That's It's Just Soap, S-O-P, leave off the A for additives, dot com, and use the code STAYHOMEHUSBAND for 15% off your first purchase. Before we jump into the podcast, we want to just ask you for a bit of help as we try to expand our reach. The easiest step is to simply subscribe or follow The Second Pint on whatever podcatcher you prefer, Apple, Spotify, Overcast, Google Podcasts, we're on all of them. A rating and review would take an extra minute, but would help even more. Finally, if you have a second pint drinking, scarf wearing, singing, wake up early to watch weekend soccer friend, please tell them to check out this podcast too. Cagliari is a club based on the island of Sardinia, one of the healthiest places in all the world. The club was founded in 1920 and reached great heights in 1970 when it won its first and only Scudetto. It remains the only club from one of the Italian islands to win Serie A. The club seems to be a siren song for many, as managers and players would leave only to return later on in their career. We hope you enjoy listening to stories about Gigi Riva and the history of Cagliari Calcio. Welcome to the Second Pint Podcast. I am Sean Melia, and I'm joined, as always, by Boff Long. Ciao, Boff. Ciao. Ciao. Um, I'm still getting used to the Second Pint name, but it's nice. It, it's uh, got a nice ring to it. It works. I'm, I'm actually on my first pint right now. Um, okay. You know, Thursday night. It's been yeah. a long week. Friday Junior. Friday Junior. So, um, yeah, so this week we are traveling to Sardinia. Mm, nice. Big Great old time. island in the middle of the... Uh, Mediterranean, I think. <laughs> Middle uh, of the water. Not I Mediterranean. I did not study geography well enough in school. I was too busy playing FIFA. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, second biggest island in that neck of the woods. And um, it is not the island you're thinking of. When you think of when I think of islands off the off the coast of Italy, I immediately think of Sicily, which is the island that is being kicked by the boot. Uh, this is not the island being kicked by the boot. This is the island almost exactly due west of um, of Rome. It's a 13-hour ferry ride out to Sardinia from Rome, I read. And it is also just south of Corsica. Um, it's in the middle of the Tyrrhenian Sea, not the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, yeah, so we're going to go and we're going to learn about uh, Cagliari today, a club that I knew nothing about before we spent some time reading and learning and um, really kind of a fascinating place and a fascinating club um, that was founded in 1920. So I guess it's young. Um, Cagliari is the 26th largest city in Italy. It is also the largest city in Sardinia. Um, An extremely healthy place. I read this on Wikipedia, and I had to copy and paste it in here because it was interesting enough to, to read out loud, I think. So the average life expectancy is slightly over 82 years, 85 years for women and 79.7 for men. Uh, Sardinia shares with the Japanese island of Okinawa the highest rate of centenarians in the world, 22 centenarians for every 100,000 inhabitants. Uh, Sardinia is... The first uh, discovered blue zone and demographic and or geographic area in the world with an oversized concentration of centenarians and super centenarians, which I think is might that be if you're one, one, is that one ten plus I think, or if you're, I think you're 110 or older. Yeah. yeah. Um, so very healthy place. I think it's known for, yeah, 110 for super centenarians. Just a very low key island um, vibe. Also, has one of the highest per 
I think it's sheep, uh, populations of sheep per square mile in the entire world. It's kind of like New Zealand, UK, and Sardinia, and Sardinia are the are the three. Um, so that's the type of place we're going this this week. Um, okay. Yeah, it's thirteen hour ferry ride to Rome. So if you are a Cagliari fan, you are a and you're traveling to an away match. You're either paying a lot of money to fly or you're spending a lot of time to at least get to Rome and then try to get anywhere else in Italy. And we know that Rome is rather it's central in Italy. So you're spending two days to get to an away match. Um, if you're taking a boat. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) And if you, you know, if you're, I, I went back and looked at my season with Verona and, um, Cagliari was not in, Serie A the year that Tim Parks traveled to every away game that um, that Hellas Verona's Verona played, so he didn't have to go to Cagliari for a match. Okay, um, so he he was saved that trip. Probably would have flown. He flew to a couple places. Anyways, so that's uh, that's kind of just a quick nuts and bolts on Sardinia, and they have a interesting stadium. Did you read anything about their stadium? Um, I, only that they are currently in a temporary home um, and that their stadium is uh, like ve- very small. That's it. It's like yeah. 16,000 or something like that. Yeah, it's very small. So they're building it, I think, to get it up into the maybe 20,000, mid 20,000s of um, it was an old stadium. Sar- it's called Sardinia Arena. And it's going to be ready again in 2021. So they, it was described as having, they added extra stands at one point that it almost felt like it was a stadium in inside of a stadium, like two bowls sitting inside of each other in a cabinet. And it was deemed unsafe. Um, and so they had to renovate the whole thing. And they are now playing in the Sant'Elia, um, or sorry, the Stadio Sant'Elia is the one they're building. And uh, Sardinia Arena is the, what they're playing in right now until 2021. And um, yeah, so they're just playing in a small little little stadium right now to just hold over as they're building something newer and a little bit bigger and a little bit nicer. Um, again, kind of laid back and they have pretty small crowds, like 9,000 people will show up to a match. And... I think we talked last one recently about a club that had maybe like 13,000 and we thought that was pretty low. So they don't get a lot of fans and they're just kind of a middle of the table up and down type of club. Um, We got to talk about the crest, obviously. Always, always. (laughs) And this crest has, has people on it. It does. It's got four. It's got the four moors on it. Um, so it's four heads that are kind of like silhouetted and the, they're spaced out between a St. George's cross, uh, which I guess we're kind of familiar with as the school St. George's was our high school rival. Um, so, and the Moors, I, I tried to look up the, like the connection of all this and it's really Sardinia goes way back as far as who ruled it. And obviously a pretty important Island where it was just in, the middle of of a massive sea between Spain and Italy and North Africa, but the Moors, uh, there was there's connections to Spain and obviously Italy um, as well. So they they just kind of use the Sardinian flag as the as their crest. It's an okay looking crest. I don't I, hate it. You it doesn't it remind you of of Sampdoria a little bit. Um, color scheme and the color scheme a little bit. It's not as it's not as um kind of all over the places. Really? At least when I look at it, I know what I'm looking. I know what I'm looking at. Okay, okay. I, I for for me, I'm not as a big of a fan of the of the half half stripe cut on on the jersey. Um, it it, it works with certain teams, but not all teams. Yep. Um, but. Yeah. Right, because the crest the crest is divided. On the left, it's red, and on the right, it's blue. Right. The kind of the outside part of the the crest. Right. Yeah, I guess that's a fair that's a fair critique. Um, um, 
yeah. And, and the headbands on the on the four moors are a little bit perplexing. Uh, I don't know if they're headbands or they've also been described as like band like uh, like blindfolds. I'm looking at it. I'm zooming in. <laughs> and <laughs> zoom and enhance. <laughs> if that's a blindfold, then the people on the crest have like eyes that are really close to their, their hairline. So that's a headband, and the I think the original, or maybe it's a band. It's it's kind of meant to be a bandage um, of some sort. Yeah, there's a there's like the I kind of tried to dive a little bit into the into the history of the flag and the the rabbit holes I would have had to go down to get uh, description were were not worth were not fully worth the time um, as far as trying to find other stuff about Cagliari. Um, but I don't mind the crest. I think. I also just don't mind the shape. I don't mind the shape of it. The color isn't like too too bright, and I know what I know what I'm looking at for the most part. Um, their rivals, uh, kind of like some of the other clubs we've talked about, haven't won a lot, so it's tough for them to build up any sort of real rivalry. They're also geographically so far away from everybody else. Um, there is a club in the northern part of uh, Sardinia called Torres that I guess is in the lower leagues and. So when when uh, Cagliari was down in Serie C, there was a little bit of a rivalry. But ultimately, um, the Reddit thread I created and got some good responses and some a uh, little bit some anti-American responses too. <laughs> I don't know if you read through them. There were <laughs> some people don't like uh, don't like Americans in Italy. I guess um, I like Americans in Italy. <laughs> and. And so, yeah, one of the guys wrote, we don't really have any rivals, which I think is fair and, and makes sense. So anything else on just the club in general? Yeah, I, I just, I mean, um, you know, looking at, looking at, uh, so I have this football club of Europe map over my desk right now. And I'm um, looking at Cagliari and just to think of any team with that much hatred, you know, for your rival to travel that distance and just to play them and then leave, like, it, it, it doesn't work out. Yep. You know, rivals rivalries start um, when you have proximity or when you have competition, and they don't have anything. So yep. Not surprising. One article I read, um, which will come up a little bit later, talked a little bit about some tension and rivalry between different ultras within the club. So there's fans who are. F- like fans going against fans okay. um, within within groups within the within the club, which I thought was was kind of crazy. So like some ultras have have split off because of arguments and fights, and um, and oh, so another interesting part about Sardinia before we move on to uh, some a tradition that I found is Sardinia's uh, stadium hosted. 1990 World Cup matches and England played in every played every single group stage match in Sardinia and the theory is or the belief is that they just put the English on the island to keep the hooligans on the island <laughs> that makes sense. they they just they just put them there and said you're going to play all three games here we'll deal with if you make it onto the mainland in the knockout stages but this is where you are for your so you can do whatever you want, but you're you're going to be on this island. You're contained. That is, is a great, <laughs> that is a great way to. I, I mean, I think even like put a put a ceiling on on a, on a team success. Um, you know, like the fans can't get involved in in the antics of, of the country. I don't know. Like imagine having imagine having your fans be able to kind of gather voice in Rome. And, and yep. just kind of be a you know be a force and just be like a presence that can feed the uh, the national team, but like you can't really be a force in Cagliari, right? So yeah, yeah. so I thought that was interesting little dig on the uh, on the English, which I'm always here for. Right. Always, that's always good. Uh, so I found one. I don't know if it's a tradition, but it was uh, a little bit of a story around their scudetto. Their only Scudetto in 1970. Um, so I found an article in The Guardian, which was written, uh, let's see, in 2014. So it's an older article. 
Um, but it tells a little story about the he after winning the after winning the Scudetto in 1970, the Cagliartiani Cagliartiani are carrying quote are carrying little coffins through their narrow cobbled streets, mourning La Vecchia Signora, the old lady. After beating them to the title, the fans have decided to bury Juventus. It is a typical example of how Italians often mix calcio with religious sentiments, and it also demonstrates the Cagliartani's sardonicism, a word entirely appropriate due to its definition and etymology. The Greeks believed eating a plant from Sardinia caused facial convulsions resembling those of of sardonic laughter. That's where the word sardonic comes from, is actually from Sardinia, which I thought was interesting. I thought the funeral was interesting. Um, it reminded me of what Blackburn did when they when they are relegated or promoted, mm. that they they bury they buried the uh, the coffin, um, which I think they started maybe after 1970. That no, was in the I can't remember, but I thought that was kind of cool that they <laughs> that they buried Juventus. <laughs> in yeah. Cagliari after they won which um, underlines, it underlines how you know what I said about um, Juventus uh, on, on a pod over there like everybody hates Juventus um, and it's it's incredible to, to watch how other cities just show their hatred of, of this one team yep yep I don't think they would have buried anybody else no yep um, yeah, so I thought that was that was the one kind of tradition or little piece of history that I found that um, I thought was worth worth sharing. Um, let's get to your favorite part of all of this every week. Yeah, I, this I, is your sweet spot, which I love. I think that's I think that's that's great. It has become my my favorite spot, um, mostly because it's a chance for me to redraw or or touch up um, this like soccer football calcio uh roadmap of everyone's journeys everyone's paths and how they all intersect at at really weird and funny times um so yeah uh so i i just before you get into that because i think that's an interesting way to describe this whole thing is is like a this little these little pathways that are constantly crossing we didn't really do this when we were in england do you feel like the the paths are as windy and intersect as much as they have in Italy. I think I just the nope. same a lot of the same names come up and we are going to clubs that are big and small. Right. Yeah, there's no there's no way. I mean like you, you know you, we laugh a little bit about some of the names Steve Bruce and Hodgson and um who's the other one? Um I mean Kevin Keegan Kevin Keegan. I mean, so we we yeah. laugh at the, at the name and kind of give points into, oh, wow, okay, he popped up again. But, I mean, this cameo here for me, like, it sent me down tons of rabbit holes. And I don't think I remember seeing a club hire and fire the same manager so many times. Um, and it's not just, like, one or two guys. It's like, I've got a list of people that just, like, <laughs> they're, they're, all, they're all over the place. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, their their owner, uh, Mass, uh, Massimo Cellino, who owned them for 22 years, hired and fired 36 managers. <laughs> and that was from, he, he left in 2014. So that's like 1994 to 2016. They had 36 managers in that span. So um, you're exactly right. Just the amount of guys coming and going. Right. And then he went to Leeds and... Chilino was a mess at Leeds as well. Yeah, it, it, it's just it's crazy to like to. I mean, the number itself is is a lot, right? That many managers. We talked about Chelsea having eight in twelve in sorry twelve in eight years. Yeah, um, and that was like that was kind of shocking. And oh man, that you know sent all of us to to criticize Abramovich's model for running a club. But you look at this. I mean, he's hiring and firing the same guys again and again. Yeah, um, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, so like, man, I'll, I'll get into the, some of those names uh, later on, but um, I want to start off the the cameo segment with um, Davide Astori uh, and honor his legacy and honor his um, his story. He's a uh, mm-hmm. he's um, 
as Italian as you can get uh, in, in Italian football. Um, starts his career, his senior career at Serie C. Um, you know, two clubs that I can't pronounce. Uh, Pizzi Gotene, <laughs> Gotene and uh, Cremonese. Um, played, you know, played a season each um, on loan from Milan, and then he goes back, you know, goes back um, to, to Serie A uh, via Cagliari. Um, in 174 appearances, he scores three goals. He goes on from Cagliari to to, Ro- to Roma, um, and then unfortunately uh, is is called back to um, to the heavens uh, during his time in in Fiorentina. He he passed away in his sleep. Very peacefully, I I put him on there because um, I remember I remember just um, in his uh, it was it was 2018 when he passed away, and I remember the the images of, of all the teams in, in Italy kind of paying homage to, to a guy who um, just had a great kind of Italian story, and he's he's kind of the the players the, the player that the fans celebrate the most um the, the people that have those stories coming up they're, they're you know born and raised in in neighborhood towns and go through the ranks through um all through series c i feel like we've talked about the players that have played in all three divisions and, and those players are almost mo- almost the most revered because they've seen it all um so want to honor his story and, and have him on on uh first in the list yeah, he his name came up in on the Reddit thread as well. Uh, shout out to Frankie P nine twenty three for uh, a really great. He wrote like four or five paragraphs and kind of chipped through all my all my little questions that I just post every week on the clubs, um, each club's thread. And David Astori was one of his. He said club heroes in my lifetime that deserve a mention, and uh, Astori was one of them. So. For sure, it's a tra- tragic that he just ha- had a heart attack. Is what yeah. I read. Yeah, yeah. Um, so hopefully he's up there in the heavens with with the other um, soccer guys and just kick- kicking it around with Maradona. Kicking around with Maradona. That that's a good podcast name too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, next on my list, um, and this list is is heavy, 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 heavy on on the coaches. So I think this is maybe the first time. Um, that the coach scene has dominated the player scene in terms of cameos. Um, but uh, looking at the list of coaches that, that passed through those doors, um, my eyes caught Giuseppe Matarazzi. Um, and is, this is the father of Marco Matarazzi. And uh, I know him, and many fans and listeners will know him as the instigator in that infamous Zidane uh, 2006 in, um, event in uh, the World Cup final. The headbutt. France, the headbutt. Um, yeah, uh, that, I think that's just, um, for me, nothing more to it than just how windy and, and meandering these pathways are in Italian football. Um, really funny stories. And, and you see that, like, this country, it's it's in their blood. Like, like you know, your, your, your father, your grandfather played for these clubs. Um, I mean, Maldini has sons that are playing now, you know, uh, Inzaghi has sons that are playing now. Um, it's just kind of what you do uh, if, if, if your father um, was a pro player or, or even was like a semi-pro player. You just follow the, the footsteps. Um, and it, it has some of the most beautiful outcomes uh, in terms of storylines and different wrinkles to, to the history of, of Calcio in, in Italy. Um, on my list again is Zenga. Uh, Rev's legend. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I, like Walter Zenga is is a cult hero in in America. I feel like you, you can you can have some level of of friendship with a guy that that can you know that that, that knows who Walter Zenga is. There's there's a, a code of honor. You know Walter Zenga. I know Walter Zenga. Let's you know let's honor that honor that connection. Um, Again, uh, spent a little bit on him uh, on the last pod, uh, talking about his his uh, his fun story and and his kind of role as an ambassador for for the globalization of of, of football of soccer, um, and just lived his story uh, uh, all over the world. So that was that was cool. Um, next on my list is Oscar Tabarez, the famous um, Uruguayan manager. You might recognize him. 
or the, the image of him like he has a cane when he when he coaches. He's he's I think he's in his seventies and he's you know he's in his coach's uh, bench and kind of just like brooding over a game as the rain falls. Um, and he'll come out with his like wooden cane and just like bark orders and he's a legend. He, he's a guy who um, you, you look at the players and the fear in their eyes when he comes out on his cane and yells at them. Like you, you know, he's, he carries clout and you know, he's, he's got some stories um, and some legends uh, up his sleeves. Um, and he's the, he's been the Uruguayan national team manager for 14 years. Yeah. Which is uh, three World Cup cycles. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, absolute legend and, and really, um, a, a guy that, that can fill two or three podcasts on, on his own um, with his with his stories and his legacies. Um, he's the first on this list where uh, I'll talk about kind of this, this phenomenon of, of repeat managers. And before I, you know, make too general of an assumption, I, I, I can't I can't see too many clubs having this list of managers that repeat and come back. Like usually. You, you get fired and, and you're you're never seen again or you're never heard from again. Um, but Tavares uh, was manager two times. He managed uh, Cagliari 94-96 and then was let go and then came back in 98-99. So it wasn't even like a long goodbye. Um, here's a guy, uh, Mario Lino Congiu. Um, and I'm, I'm mistaken. He, he is not, uh, he was not manager three times. Um, I was I was shy by uh, I think two other stints as manager. So he first becomes so Mario Lino Conju uh, first becomes manager of Cagliari in 1939 to 41. All right, and then <laughs> 41 to 42, he actually is a co-manager. So uh, it's not like a head coach and assistant. It's two head coaches. Um, That's never good. Right, like it's it's a model that that would just never work. Um, and then uh, his co-head manager he leaves the scene, and Mario is left to manage uh, Cagliari by himself from forty-two to forty-six. Huh? He's fired. He's fired <laughs> after forty-six, right? And they give it to, to three to three other managers, other managers um, uh, after him. He's brought back in 1950 for a few months, fired uh, some other guy, Enrico Capitelli, um, comes in, does the job, finishes the season. He's fired, and then Mario Lino is brought back in 51. Um, and it, I just, I, Sean, I, I, imagine, imagine Mourinho. Like getting, you know, being at Chelsea, getting fired, uh, co-man- Mourinho co-manages with Pochettino and then takes on Chelsea again, gets fired and comes back just four years later for a month study abroad session and then come back and finishes the year uh, for that. It, it's a story that just wouldn't happen in, in today's world. And if it did, it, it would take up, you know, news for I don't know how long. So the only, in my mind, and I, I looked at this, I'm looking at this right now because as you were saying that, I was like, who, what managers or P or coaches have been brought back over and over again? And I found one. One actually just came to mind and I was right. New York Yankees. Wow. 1975 to 1978, Billy Martin was the manager. Then they had... Two more managers, and then in 1979, they brought back Billy Martin. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was repa- replaced by Dick Hauser, who also replaced Billy Martin the first time. So their managers went Billy Martin, Dick Hauser, Bob Lemon, Billy Martin, Dick Hauser. Wow. And then Bob Lemon came back in 81-82. This is amazing. Billy Martin came back in 83 then he was fired and Yogi Berra was the manager. Then Billy Martin was hired again in 85. He was fired and Lou Pinello was the manager. And then Billy Martin came back in 88. So that's one, two, three, four, five times he was hired by the Yankees. Same ownership. Um, John, I'm sorry. I, I, 
I actually made a mistake. I miscounted. He, he comes back again in 57-58. Jeez Louise. Marlino Conjiu is an absolute legend. I mean, I think I don't think he can beat that cameo. That's pretty great. That's a lot of cameos. Right. Um, it's almost like so many cameos that it can't be a cameo anymore. <laughs> right, but the best part is that when he comes back, he's only back for, for a few months. So it has to in in theory, in technicality, it it still fits into the cameo law, I think. Oh, for sure. So maybe the working theory behind Sardinia is not a lot of people necessarily want to go there, so <laughs> they continue to ask the same people back because I I just think it's a different kind of place. Yeah, I I don't know. I I, I don't know. I mean, so next on my list is a guy Mario Tadia who comes back four times. Uh, Massimo Ficadenti two times um, uh, and then I, ha- I have a story here it's, this is a great story uh, of a man named Zdenek Zeman um, his, so he, he's hired his second time at the club was only for one month right? and this this shows that maybe your, your theory is, is true because this, this happens in 2014 um, on June 2014 uh, Zeman I'll, I'll go with Zeman Zeman returned um, into football management, being appointed new head coach of Serie A club Cagliari after a successful takeover by led by entre- entrepreneur Tommaso Giolini. On the fifth game of the season, Zeman got a surprising but deserved victory of 1-4, or 4-1, playing away against Internationale, or Inter. Briefly staving off rumors of dismissal after a mediocre start of the season. However, he was sacked on December 23rd following a poor run. Oh, right before uh, Christmas. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, Sean, like... Get on that ferry. Take take the <laughs> I think they also have a break in that time. It's a good time to hire a new manager. Um, anyway, sorry. <laughs> achieve only two wins in their sixteen league fixtures, leaving them eighteenth place in the relegation zone. Um, at the turn of the year, on March 9th, twenty fifteen. So uh, we'll, we'll fire you at Christmas, but just before you get ready around for for, for Easter. Um, <laughs> Come back. Uh, so March 9th, 2015, um, a few months after being sacked, uh, Kagiari reappointed Zeman as head coach. The club sacked Zola, another cameo name. Um, he resigned from the post just after five games, which... Um, oh, my God. Point. So this is a thing. It's it's, it's almost embedded in, in their DNA. Um, yeah. And I, I, don't, I don't think it's just management. I think it's also the... the 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 coach the the manager that that comes in too, um, so so yeah, a fascinating um, just kind of nuance to this club, and I'd be interested to look at other other teams and, and see how they handle handle this. I I do I think there's I think part of it is the is the geography of the place. Yeah, I don't know. That's um, that's interesting. Yeah, and I, I'll I'll end my 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 half of this segment. Um, with uh, the Italian Roy Hodgson, or maybe that's wrong, and maybe I should say uh, Roy Hodgson is the is, Italian, the, is, is the English English Ranieri. Ranieri. <laughs> um, Claudio Ranieri. Uh, we know him from the pod that we did on Leicester um, and and his triumphs with the Prem. Um, he actually made his name at Cagliari uh, as a manager. He he joined them in eighty eight, nineteen eighty eight. And helped them gain promotion to Serie A um, from the third division Serie C, and he did it in successive seasons. He did it back to back seasons, um, and before going up to Serie A, he actually um, also brings home the Coppa Italia, um, which is man like absolute legend. Um, and uh, for a guy who who looks like he could go an- another 10, 15 years. Um, He's just, he's full of stories and, and um, just cultural folklore. So uh, Ranieri also is a man that can fill up three to five pod, you know, podcasts of, of content. Um, and yeah, man, uh, that's, that's my, my, my bit here on, on coaches uh, being the dominating cameo appearances. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's great. I had, I had, uh, I had, well, you didn't have Allegri in there. I, I did not. I did not. Okay. He was a player there and a manager. Um, and I just, 
he was was he at Susulo as well? Is that the other is that the other club? I, I think I think it might have been. We uh, we came across him. I just also liked that they have an award. The coach of the year award is basically translates to the golden bench, <laughs> which is like an amazing. And he won it in two thousand nine with um with Cagliari. Right. So he was one quick one that I found. Um, I also had Zola on here and he played for them for two seasons. They also managed them for two seasons. And I found an, I found a, a story, uh, and I'll just kind of read the, the blurb here. It was report. He, Zola was with Chelsea and refused to sign with Chelsea for uh, any longer. Cause he had, I guess he had a sense or there was, it was in the pipeline that, uh, Abramovich was going to buy Chelsea and he just didn't want to, he just didn't want to be there anymore. If, if um, Abramovich was going to come in and buy them. Mm. So it was reported that Abramovich tried to buy the entire Cagliari club when Zola refused to neg neg on his verbal contract with Cagliari. That's pretty on brand. Although Zola himself will not confirm it. So Zola leaves Chelsea to go to Cagliari and (laughs) Abramovich is so pissed that he just, Tried to buy the whole club so we could still have Zola. Yeah, I, 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 I don't put it past him. I think Abramovich. Yeah, I think Abramovich is definitely in the Tyson zone. Yeah. The Tyson zone being like, you could tell me any story about Mike Tyson and I would believe it. <laughs> and Abramovich is the same. Yeah. Um, so Zola, he actually led uh, Cagliari to promotion a Serie uh, when he was there. Um, stayed on for another year, retired in 2015. Um, his last match, he had a double against Juventus. Uh, and his number 10 jersey was withdrawn in his honor for the season after he left. And then they they gave it back to uh, a player, which actually I thought was kind of a cool way to retire a jersey. Mm. Um, like the Celtics have so many retired numbers. It would be... It would be it would have been cool. It's too late now for just like no one's going to wear this number for five years or no one's going to wear this number for 10 years. And then you pick a couple players. It's like no one is ever going to wear. No one's wearing Larry Bird's number again. But like Kevin Garnett's number is getting retired. I don't think his number should be retired forever. Give him a decade. Like no one can wear this number until 2030. That makes sense. Yeah, I I just thought that was a, a, a kind of a cool way to do it. Um and then the other, the other one I picked out, there's a lot of Uruguayan connections um, mm-hmm. in Sardinia. So Enzo Francescoli Yarte um, is a, was a Uruguayan footballer who was extremely talented, uh, played in the midfield. Um, and there's a, a good Guardian article, the one I referenced earlier, that also talks about, um, about Enzo. And there's a uh, when Ariel Ortega had his testimonial for River Plate in 2012, he invited many of the legends that had worn the famous white and red shirt. Ortega's show was stolen by 50 year old Enzo Francescoli, who scored four goals, including a spectacular bicycle kick. Uh, The Uruguayan, who was of Italian descent, was one of the most talented players to emerge from South America in the 80s, nicknamed Il Principe. His official position was attacking midfield, but like so many of the great players, it was sometimes impossible to pin down where he actually played. Um, so Uruguayan stud. Um, his third season was by far his best in the Copa Italia. He scored three goals before the team was eliminated in the quarterfinals um, against Fabio Capello's Milan. Uh, in Serie A, Cagliari earned a surprising sixth place finish while Enzo was there and earned a spot in the UEFA Cup. And Francesco scored seven league goals, his personal best in a Serie A season. So he wasn't much of a goal scorer. He could score four when he was 50, though. Um, he played 98 league games for Cagliari, scored 17 goals. And he is regarded as one of the club's greatest ever players and is in Cagliari's Hall of Fame. Uh, and he's in the club's best ever starting 11. And then a great fact that really made him stand out to me is uh, Zinedine Zidane, as a kid growing up in Marseille, France, idolized Enzo Francescoli so much that his oldest son is named Enzo. And he's a 25-year-old who actually plays professionally in Portugal for uh, CD, CD Aves. Mm-hmm. Um, 
yeah, so I had to look that up. Like, is that true? And then there there was Zidane's kid, who I just couldn't believe his kid is 25 either. That kind of blew my mind. Um, but if you're if you're good enough for Zidane to name uh, your his oldest, you get you get a little blurb in this. So that's fair, Sean. Yeah. I was thinking about something really quickly. If, just just on this topic of of uh, jerseys being retired, I, I think at most someone would retire my jersey for about a month. Like you can't wear it. You can't wear it just for the start of the season. You can wear it half of that. He was okay. He, he was okay. Um, We're gonna retire his number for the off season and the first three games. Yeah, he was, <laughs> he was okay. Uh, not great, but you know, was was a good guy and, and told some jokes. <laughs> yeah, good locker room presence. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, heroes. Heroes. We uh, we were pretty aligned on this one. Yeah. Um, I think Gigi Riva is a. If, if I've ever thought of, of like kind of like old film that's like kind of like clicking as it's like being shown on on like a projector, I, Riva is a guy that, that comes to mind. Um, he's just he I don't know, he's he, I feel like he's the embodiment of of that decade. I I agree. He is the Italian uh, Bobby Moore. Yeah. In a lot of ways, I mean the 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 pictures of him, someone in a podcast uh in the what what's it in the Galazzo podcast which is excellent I I'd recommend people go listen to it they did like a 45 minute bit on on Gigi Riva went real deep on his life and everything I'd never heard of him before really fascinating character had a really tough childhood um and it just a phenomenal a lot of people think he's maybe one of the best Italian players ever but he was compared to Paul Newman and uh, Daniel James. Daniel James? Daniel Daniel Craig, the Bond guy. He just has like Hollywood looks, uh, like he could play Caesar in a movie. He could great cheese on, on his like cheekbones. I know. I know. And the other part, the other interesting thing is, is like photographs look very imposing and then I watched a couple of clips of him playing, and he was not a big, imposing guy on the field. He was kind of slippery, scored some, like, he he didn't score very graceful goals, but he wasn't like a big, muscly player on the field. He His nickname was Roar of Thunder. I think maybe for his time, he was kind of a big guy, but he didn't look like an imposing figure on the field. Um yeah, his, the clips of him are great. I don't, I, I don't. Yeah, he's just like t- classically, classically nineteen sixties, nineteen seventies. Yeah. Um, like handsome Italian. Yeah, he's. Uh, I think he's also. Um, it, like just. You, you look at him, and and you and you 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 know that like. Soccer has history. Like it's just like his his, um like his picture right now on, on on my screen like it's it's like it's like a player card and you look at it it's like yeah there's no way there's there's not just legends behind this, this name, yeah yeah it's it's uh it's like the scene in Dead Poet Society <laughs> yeah yeah and Carpe Diem <laughs> right <laughs> no like I, everything about him is is um iconic uh, Italy of 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 that time. Yeah, so his enough about his 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 good looks and his imposing figure. Um he was an exceptional soccer player. So for for uh, Cagliari, he had 374 appearances in kind of any competition and scored 207 goals over 13 years. Um he was one of the best players on a 1970 World Cup runner-up squad that lost to Brazil um, that had a guy named Pele on it and scored the game-tying goal in the semifinal. I sent you a 13-minute like extended highlights clip today <laughs> that I found of that game. Um, it is deemed by some people the game of the century. It was a 4-3 Italian win it was 1-1 after 90 minutes and they played 30 minutes of extra time and they gave up uh, five goals between them. Riva scored the 
goal to make it 3-3, and then Italy scored a fourth. Um, you So before we hopped on, you asked, you asked kind of a funny question because we were watching that clip, and I said I wasn't surprised that five goals were scored in the last 30 minutes because none of those guys looked like they were in shape at all. Yeah. They're also in Mexico City in the Azteca, which is, you know, 16 miles up and the air is thin. Um, so I'm sure they were all dying anyways. But you, what was the question you posed? <laughs> so after watching the highlight and after just looking at, at their just their physique and just you look at you look at them. Right. And, and you compare it with what you're like watching now, now on Saturday and Sunday. And my question was just straight up. Could this team hang with this year's edition of, of Fulham FC in the press? I, Fulham, I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, Fulham are. You know they're 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 going down, and, and to be honest, it'd be a favor to them and to everybody else if they just went down in, in December. Um, you know, just end of the month, just just get the championship now. But you look at that, and it's like I, I don't think this team, this Italian team, can can hang with with the bottom of the barrel prem prem team. I don't think so. The game changed way too much, and I, yeah, it, it wouldn't be close, Sean. I don't think it would be close. <laughs> there was one. There's, I mean, there was a few moments where I watched and thought, like, "Holy cow!" I think I could have played in this game. <laughs> there was, there was a like a ball was passed from the halfway line, and it missed the player it was aimed at, who was about <laughs> yeah. ten yards away, and the ball just rolled for a good fifteen yards, and there was not a single player on the screen. Yes, like the amount of space in the in that like just before in that middle third of the field and just at really right at like the top of the last third is staggering when you watch if you watch soccer now how much space and time they had to get the ball and then their finishing in front of the net was at least in this game I mean we're taking a very small sample um, was appallingly bad it should have been it could have been fifteen to eleven the amount of chances they had there was one where the goalie kicked it off a defender or off a forward and almost went in (laughs) um it was it was crazy but definitely a dramatic game and he was part of it there were six uh, Cagliari players on that team which is also kind of stunning they had just won the Scudetto um and they had just a really a really good group of guys and Riva um, was also second in the Ballon d'Or in 69 behind uh, Gianna R- Rivera, who was also Italian, who scored the winning goal in that semifinal. And I mean, I can't think of a t- I can't think of a nation in my lifetime that would have had the first two Ballon d'Or winners. Um, yeah. You know, or sorry, the first two Ballon d'Or kind of vote getters that's pretty astounding and in 1970 he finished third behind Jared Muller who scored 10 goals in that World Cup for West Germany um, and Bobby Moore right good friend of the pod love Bobby he also uh, legend has it he broke a spectator's arm with a shot during warm-ups one time uh, sent the sent I think it was a kid to the hospital <laughs> Um, he was standing behind the net, not paying attention, and the ball hit him and uh, and broke his arm. He was forced to retire at age 33, and he really like after 71, he had some really bad injuries, um, some torn muscles and stuff that just like maybe nowadays you would have recovered from, but back then you didn't really get to. He only played 42 games for um, for Italy, he scored 35 goals, but he only played. He only got to play 42 games in all for, for his country. And Cagliari has retired the number 11. He's a hero. I mean, the guy's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think... I. He's the honorary president right now of the club, too. Yeah, 42 games uh, just doesn't do his career or his, his ability justice. He, he's a guy that you also hear about when you, when you listen deep enough um, to just, like folklore of, of the sport um I, I wonder what what you know what he could have done in, in i don't know which is a little bit more a little bit better diet a little bit better uh training system i can't imagine they were taking care of their bodies at all uh no i don't i think it was i think it was just different they didn't have the tools if they got behind it was really hard for them to kind of get their body back back uh the way it needed to be but he was he was he was a phenomenal player 
and um, it's it's some great clips of him. So I I will I would recommend anybody go and, and check his stuff out. And then the other hero I had outside of Ranieri, who you talked about already, just kind of swooping in and saving the day and getting them out of Serie C, uh, is uh, Daniel Conti, who played for the club for 16 years and had 464 appearances. Um, so just that that piece of longevity stood out to me. He was a player that I had never heard of and was brought up on the on the Reddit thread, Frankie P again. And I looked him up and thought, like, we got to give him a shout at least. Right. So yeah. those are my heroes. I don't know if you have anything else you want to say about Riva. I kind of just jumped into. No, no, I, I there. think. Yeah, he's he's one of the names that that we have on the pod and between England and and Italy that that um he's in his own class or he's in, he's in a class of, of of special ones, um in you know uh in that kind of legend or, or hero category, um and I think yeah he's a great story and if you want a, a few a few good reads definitely read about on him um, yeah a great Italian legend. Um, and he's still involved with the sport. I mean, he's 76 years old. He's still he's, he's kicking. Yeah, and he um he was there when Italy lost to Brazil in 94, mm-hmm. which I guess is uh just an interesting dichotomy considering in 1970 um he lost to Brazil. 94 they lose to Brazil and he was there. He was also there in 2000 when they beat France. Was that 2004? Uh, Am I getting... That's not even the right year of a World no, Cup, is it? 2006. 2002? When did Italy win the World Cup, Boff? Uh, six. Two, 2006. Two was Brazil. Oh, two was Brazil, yeah. So 2006. So. Yeah, wow. Um, yeah, Renier, and then Renier is going to round out the, the hero segment. Um He's he's a guy I, I think uh, we're gonna see a couple more times um, on on the pod and and you know we when we go offline we kind of pick at random it's it's a verbal way of throwing a, a dart at a at a board and just seeing where we land um, but I'm almost positive we're gonna see Renieri again and and uh, I can't wait to, to see where he pops up next um, yeah. <laughs> He'll be there. He's waiting in the wings somewhere. Yeah, he's, he it, always is. Of course, a good friend of the pod, and Ranieri might be—I don't know—the the genetic makeup of, of the pod, the DNA structure. <laughs> um, I had I had one villain, and it was we. I, I mentioned him earlier, so, but uh, Massimo Cellino, the manager eater, was his nickname. Uh, definitely the reason you had so many managers in your cameo section because he was going through them at a f- <clears throat> more than one manager a year clip, 36 managers in 22 years. And he actually tried to sell the club once and the sale fell through. And he said that the prospective buyers actually just decided that they wanted Chilino to remain in charge, that he, you know, almost like they, they realized they weren't good enough to replace him. And that was his explanation. He finally did sell them in 2014 and then he bought Leeds, and there's a we have a whole Leeds podcast, and I, I'm pretty sure he comes up in it. And the uh, the the stuff on his Leeds experience is is pretty amazing. <clears throat> he was turned down at first by English football because he just seemed like a shady character and some tax stuff, and then he was um, allowed to buy Leeds, and then he was banned by English football for a little bit. Just he he's he's kind of a shady character and, uh, and England kind of smelled him out and he ended up selling to, um, who's the guy who owns him now? Redizieri. Redizieri. Yeah. So he was the only real villain. I don't think, I don't think there's anyone else who has, has wronged the, the club. It's hard to, to be a villain or to have a villain, uh, when you're the only person or the only club on the Island. Um, you know, and, and we travel so far for, for any match outside, of, of the main of, of the island land so i i think i think it's pretty telling uh um just who they are as a club and who and where they stand in in italian folklore so the only i the only other thing i have is the the fights between some of the fan groups um so there's a in this article in this guardian article that covers a bunch of different stuff about the club 
Um, there was one, there's one group called the Sconvolts, and they ended up in this just really bad fight. So I'm just going to read, I'm going to read some of this. It's like three paragraphs. So the incurable differences between the Cagliartani meant they occupied different positions on the Curva Nord. And in 2003, this conflict reached its peak. The Sconvolts traveled to their game against Verona with the sole aim of revenge. They went all the way to, I mean, we talked about how far it is to get to Rome. Verona is, it's got, it's a two day trip. Uh, It was meticulously planned. They traveled in small groups, so not to attract attention from the police. Arriving in the city, they gathered behind the curvasude of the Stadio Bentagodi, and they went and they waited with iron bars, sticks, and smoke grenades. All hell broke loose. A bar was wrecked. Fights raged with the Veronese. Two police were hospitalized, and 33 Sconvolts were arrested. In the aftermath of the fight, the Veronese posted the following on a fan forum. Quote, it was a fair fight without the use of knives, honor, and respect to the Sconvolts. The tranquil reputation that followed the Cagliartani had vanished. But here comes the truly shocking part. This vendetta was a consequence of events that had occurred in Cagliari five months earlier. At the corresponding home fixtures, fixture, members of E. Furosi had teamed up with Verona Ultras and attacked the Sconvolts. So a group of Cagliari fans joined up with Ultra Veronis to attack another Ultra group. Um, it was the gravest of insults, and one of the Sconvolts could not ignore. Um, the Fiorisi disbanded later that year, and while the exact reasons are hard to ascertain, it was certainly connected to this incident. <laughs> so, a Cagliari fight uh, broke out between their groups and one of the Verona Ultras groups, and um, it spilled over five months later to Ver- into Verona. So if you're going to look at villains, you might have to look in your own house. Um, as far as, as far as like, a, what are the ah, crazy, crazy stuff? Jeez. So, yep. Um, darkest moment as we kind of get quickly, you have, um, I have 88 and 89 just as, as chunks of time scraping by in series C before, uh, the hero Ranieri comes by. Yeah, um, I, I I added uh, Davide Astori's uh, passing. Um, and then the next uh, kind of darkest moment or a just dark theme um, is uh, racism in Cagliari. It's, it's known as one of the more um, challenged clubs when it comes to dealing with racism in the stands and with, within the community. Um, and, you know, we're, we're trying to uh, kick out racism of the sport and, um, modern context has a lot of uh, athletes being very vocal now, um, and there's great you know progress and movement in in other other leagues. Unfortunately, uh, leagues like Italy's uh, Serie A um, are still dealing with this, and and it doesn't seem like it's it's going to be really kind of um, combated in a way that is going to pave the way for more progress. Um, you hear so many terrible stories of Balotelli's treatment and other um, players of color's treatment in, in Italy. And, and it just, you wonder if, if um, it could ever be kicked out or separated from, from the game in Italy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's, those are two of my moments that kind of are a little bit of a, a cloud over the club's history. Yeah. And a, a cloud over a lot of, a lot of, especially the racism piece around a lot of Italian clubs. Yeah. Um, best trophy. Uh, we agreed. Yeah, it's got to be the Scudetto. I think it's it's just so rare. Um, yep. You know, uh, and I think yeah, I think calling it the, the Scudetto is is uh, appropriate too. It's just like it's that's all they have. Yeah, so they were technically the first Southern quote unquote Southern club south of Rome um, to win a Scudetto. Uh, Napoli followed suit, you know, in the in the eighties with Maradona. And no other island club is one, so they're the only club. There's a couple clubs on um, on Sicily as well. Uh, it Galazzo podcast kind of said it was it was the moment that Sardinia really became part of Italy, right. and it also just when they the fact that they had it it created um, very much like West Ham when I was when I was listening to the them talk about six players earning starting spots on the 1970 World Cup squad for their opening game in, in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like West Ham in 1966 with England, just this kind of smaller club. 
Um, obviously West Ham's in London, so it's a different vibe, but just having, I think West Ham had four players in that finals, including Bobby Moore, and they all had a big, a big say in, in how that game went and how that tournament went. So that's, uh, that's, I mean, it just kind of boosted the whole, the whole thing. And to win a Scudetto in a year when your national team, when the Italian team does well too, I think it just adds a little bit in my mind. Right. Whether it's a world cup or a European cup. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I guess that's, uh, that's kind of, it's kind of it. You've got Ranieri, I guess, as another, as another, uh, best trophy nominee. I think, I think coming up, coming up and, and winning the Coppa Italia as well as, uh, as promotion is, is great too, um, to have, um, then it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a club that I, I, I hope gets another trophy. I think the storylines would be awesome to, to say that, you know, the Island of Sardinia brought home a Coppa, uh, a Serie A trophy. Um, but I think we're going to be waiting for a little bit of a time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Well, I guess that's that's all we've got on Cagliari. And yeah. I I, uh, I can hear my a rare moment, but I can hear my wife in the other room. And we have a we have a mouse that's definitely living with us, and oh, no. it has it has shown up. And I can I, I heard her a few times. Maybe it even showed up. It got caught on the mic. But um, I I'm, I'm gonna you know I've got to run and and uh, I guess help my wife with a uh, with a mouse in the house. All right. Good luck with that. Thanks. I'll see you. All right. See you, Bob. Bye. Bye.